0: This is my comeback story. This is Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to The Comeback. Hey guys, Trey here. So excited to be here with you today to be able to listen to the second half of Todd White's testimony. You are going to be impacted by a story, and it is going to challenge and inspire you to love Jesus even more than you already do. Also, remember that you can click the link in the description and watch my interview with Todd in its entirety on video. All right, guys, enjoy this.
1: So, when I came to the house, my daughter came running out. I just needed to say I was sorry. You know, it was one of our, it was our second stop. We stopped at the church first and then stopped at the house. And she came running out and I helped my daughter and told her how sorry I was and how much I loved her and how I was going to show her what it means to be a man of God. And she said to me, Daddy, look at your eyes. Your eyes are different. And I knew. That that lamp thing had happened with me. And it was just the beginning. It wasn't like I knew it all. But here's what I did now. I knew that I was forgiven. I knew that God would never bring up my past. I knew that God removed my guilt, shame, and condemnation. I knew that. I knew that part right there. And I knew that my whole life was a lie. And now I'm standing in the truth. I knew that. That's all I knew. And so I'm I'm sitting there talking to my daughter. My girlfriend comes out and I told her how sorry I was. First, I was telling my daughter how sorry I was for all the things. And She's like, Daddy, why are you sorry for? What are you sorry for? I said, for all the times that your daddy lied, for all the times that your daddy was out on binges. She's like, what is a binge, Daddy? I don't even know what you're talking about. (laughs) And I'm thinking there's no possible way. She's going to need so much healing. Like, I mean, she, for seven years of her life, she lived on the couch with her mom at night when I was out on binges. Like mom would always go get her out of bed. Come on, let's go and let's go and sit together till your stupid father comes out. I mean, that's the life we lived. And so I'm telling her, I'm sorry. And she's just looking at me, daddy, you're home. And I have to tell her how I can't live there and how it's not my home and how I know that I was here, but I was here wrong. And I, mommy, I have to build a relationship with your mom. Hopefully someday she'll forgive me and all that. My daughter's like, daddy, you're home. And she's not hearing me. She's seven and a half resilient just my dad's here. And so my girlfriend came out and I told her how sorry I was and how much I loved her and that how I was going to get a job, which I never did. And I was going to provide. And she was like, I know you will. And I'm like, what do you mean? You know, how do you know I will? She goes, when you went away, I gave my life to Jesus. And I was so like, what? And here, Dan had been pouring into my daughter and my girlfriend when I was gone. And he had been like, discipling my my girlfriend i was like are you kidding right now and he said no he goes you guys need to be married i go yeah you're right i said man we got to plan this and dan looked at me and he goes you're absolutely not planning this i said it's already been planned you guys will be married in between first and second service on sunday and i went what (laughs) like i mean like Planning a wedding involves invitations. Who's really going to come? I hurt everybody. Yeah. And besides, it's really not about that. It's about covenant. It's about who, what does covenant mean? What does it look like? God made a covenant with me that he'll never break. And marriage is a covenant that we never break. It's the same. It's the picture of the father and his children as a husband and his bride. And Jesus says the bride of Christ, it's the, it's the same picture. It's the covenant. The Holy Spirit is the engagement ring. That we're given till that wedding day. It's powerful. So so we decided that we were going to do it in between service on Sunday. And uh, I knew in my heart that I needed to go inside the house because my heart was pounding in that I had all this drug paraphernalia and all this like pornography, all this stuff, this yucky stuff that had nothing to do with me. I knew I needed to throw it away. I needed to get rid of it. And so I asked Dan to watch my daughter and my girlfriend. I told my girlfriend I need to go in and just get rid of things because when I do move back in, like all the stuff, it, it has nothing to do with me. And she's like, oh, OK. She didn't know all the stuff I had hidden, but I did and God did. And so when I went in the house. God's eyes were on me and I knew it. I knew that my father was watching me. Like if we know that his eyes are on us every day, it changes the way you live. You don't live in a And, oh, my God, I've let God down. You live in a, oh, my gosh, I'm going to live pleasing to the Father. It changes everything. So I went through and got all my pornography, all my alcohol, my drugs, all my stuff, all my paraphernalia. I went and put it out in the burn barrel out back by myself, just God's eyes on me. My heart's pounding. I went and got rid of everything. I slammed it down with a sledgehammer. I smashed everything down. And I went out with gasoline. I doused it with gasoline. I made a trail so that I could light the trail so that it would light the thing. And I did. And, man, when that thing happened. I watched the fire burn down this trash and all the while I just praised the Lord and thanked him. And then when the smoke was down, I went over to the top of the barrel and I thanked God that my past would never infect my future, that that stuff has nothing to do with me nor me with it. And I was having a burn barrel session, with those burning things that had passed away, that old things had passed away and that all things have become new. I went out front and, uh, and we decided what we were going to do wedding-wise. I ended up a few days later on Sunday in between first and second service getting married to so that girl that we were together nine years then. And we had this little seven-and-a-half-year-old daughter that was the flower girl. We didn't have many people. We just had one. And then Dan did the ceremony. And I sang the song by, the casting, crowns, uh, by casting Crowns called Who Am I? Uh, and it, the lyrics are, Who am I? That the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt. You know, who am I that the voice that carved the sea would call out through the rain and calm the storm in me? Not because of what I've done, but because of who he is. And so I'm like, oh, my gosh. And it's just it was just such a powerful meeting. Her stepdad, her mom, they all came. Her stepdad cussed me out in the church that day, told me I was a loser and a liar and that he didn't believe me that I was going to ruin everything. Her mom was crying because I'd ruined everything. And her brother was like, whatever, dude. Like, this is so stupid. (laughs) Brother's (laughs) wife, same way. My mom couldn't make it up. But she's just like, oh, I hope this is real. I hope this works. Like, it was crazy. But Jackie knew when I went away that God was bringing back a new man. So we moved back. I moved back into the house. And I saw all the damage that I had done, all the fist holes in the walls and all the raids and the broken windows and just all the stuff. And I knew in my heart, that this person that used to live here isn't here anymore. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, like, I, I was literally a terror. But none of that affected me and said, I wish I'd never done that. I knew that I was blind, that I was lost, that I was dead. And there's no way for a blind, lost, dead person to do anything but sin because that's the way it is. So now that I'm a found alive, like, like not I'm a, I'm a i can see person everything's gonna change so um it, it was just so powerful so i ended up that day i really heard in my heart i needed to go visit my friend um bobby and so the next day after our wedding um i went up to the convalescent home where they had him on life support and, and his brain was all bulged away up here his skull and his brain was pushing through and He was in a coma and he was brain dead pretty much. And and I went in the room with my daughter and I told his wife how sorry I was. And she said, why are you sorry? And I told her because I didn't know who Jesus was. And she started screaming at me, Jesus, look at my husband, you know. And and I told her, I said, he's real. And she said, shut up. I never want to hear this again. And she walked to the other side of the room, put her hands over her ears. And she was devastated because her husband's been like that for two months now since I left. So I went over there and I told him how sorry I was. And for 30 seconds, I saw all the drugs, the alcohol, the, Hey man, Jesus loves you. All these multiple conversations that I had just with Bobby. And his counsel with me, Jesus isn't real. Look at your life. There's no possible way. He's real. Look at what you've done. Todd, come on. It doesn't even make sense. Why do you keep saying Jesus? Look, if he was real, your life would be changed. You're worse than most Christians. You're just like every other Christian out there. And so five and a half months of conversations rolled through my soul in like 30 seconds. And it was this feeling of, oh, my God, what have I done? And then God lifted it. I was sin conscious for 30 seconds right there, and then God lifted it and made me sun conscious because sun consciousness is not being sin conscious. Sin conscious is is that guilt, shame, regret, condemnation place that came through the law. Righteousness. There is no condemnation in righteousness. And so condemnation is a tool that the enemy uses for people to use and keep using, because what you do is you self-medicate and you think you're fixing your conscience, but you have to wake up and come out of that buzz. And as soon as you come out of that buzz, your conscience is more condemned than when you went in. So you do it again, and it's just this mask that never fixes it. The blood of Jesus is the only thing that can truly set you free. Yeah. There is nothing else. I I promise, man. I tried it all, buddy. There's not one thing. Nothing can fix it. A wife can't fix it. Your kids can't fix it. A job can't fix it. Sports can't fix it. Sex can't fix it. Nothing can fix it. Only the blood of Jesus that hits your soul and penetrates the reality of your mind, will, and emotions to where the cross does this work, a clean sweep through your soul, where old things pass away and all things become new. So I went to see Bobby. I'm telling him how sorry I am. He's in a coma. He didn't say a word. He didn't say anything to me. I I, I I kissed him on the forehead. I sang, I'm sorry, like several times over when I was in there and I left and cried with my daughter, because my daughter knew Bobby. I went home and told my girlfriend. We held each other. Oh, sorry. And we cried and and it was really a intense time where I realized the danger of living that half-hearted Christian life. And the wake that hypocrisy leaves behind you and, and around you at all times to where kids don't want to serve Jesus because their parents talk about something, go to church, but don't live it, Yeah. where it's just a danger, 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 man. And so that thing marked me and hit me. And I realized that the next morning I got a phone call from Betty. Bobby passed away that night. And... uh It hit me. I'm like, oh, my God, he never had a chance to never had a chance to say yes to Jesus. I was his chance. Now, I know other people were, but he he was a hermit. If you knew his life, he didn't associate with people. He was just a private person. I was his only friend, literally, like I was the only guy that he talked to. And I led him not to Jesus. I led him in hypocrisy intensely. I'm not condemned by it. I, I haven't had guilt, shame or condemnation. This is 16 years. I haven't had guilt, shame, or condemnation in 16 years. It has never hit me, ever. Like, it's just not there. Righteousness doesn't produce that. Sin produces that. Like, living under the law produces that. Living under grace and truth. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace, any kind of grace that you get that doesn't lead to transformation is demonic in nature. But real grace transforms. And the transformation that comes from the grace of God. And the renewal of your mind and transforming the way that you think. Romans 12 says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove God's will. He didn't say that you had to be a scholar to get it. He told me he told he told people that you had to be like a child. So, like. A lot of people, they rule themselves out because they're not a Bible. They didn't go to Bible college. They didn't do this. They figure, let's just let the pastor teach us. And pastors are great. Shepherds are great. But Jesus He didn't pay a price for you to be hooked up to a pastor. He paid a price for you to be hooked directly to God. And so I I agree with the fivefold. I'm part of the fivefold. But it's all for the equipping of the saints for the works of ministry. So if you see and understand your identity as a saint, as a son, not as a sinner, because when you get saved, you you get saved from sin, but you get saved from sin to something. And so if I was lost and now I'm found, What what is define what found means if I was blind, but now I see define what see means because I know what blind means. But define what see means. See means that I can see things the way that God sees things. And the way that I do that is by understanding what God says in his word. You can't get it with your brain. The Bible's not meant for your brain. It's meant for your heart because your heart can take you places your brain can't fit. But if you just take a little bit at a time and you ask God to reveal himself to you, he will. So the next day Bobby died, Betty called me and said, would you do Bobby's funeral? You're the only friend that he had. And he would have wanted you to speak at his funeral. I know he would. So I got off the phone, was totally wrecked and just overwhelmed with God's goodness and his mercy. And I I told my wife what Betty had said. And I really, I prayed about it. And I believe the Lord said, I want you to do this. And I want you to talk about what it means to be a friend. And so... I called Betty back and told her and they got uh, another pastor to be there um, to say a couple of things at the end, but they weren't Christians, So it was kind of a weird thing. Like there were, the room was full of atheists that I don't know that there was any Christians. There might've been one, I think the aunt, Betty's aunt was a Christian, but I don't, I don't think anybody else was to my knowledge, the band that broke up, they were there all sobbing, you know, yeah. and uh, Bobby's laying behind me in the casket, his shell is. And I, I, I got up there to share my part, just crying, and I I said, you know, a friend lays his life down for his friend, and I wasn't a friend. And I shared the truth about Jesus being a friend to me and what happened, and I, I had to apologize to the kids, and I said, there's no other name under heaven that men could be saved except the name of Jesus. And your dad put faith in my name and said that I was his best friend, but I didn't show him Jesus. And your daddy told me before he died that he didn't believe in Jesus. He believed in me. And I had to tell his kids that their daddy's not in heaven right now. And that was the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life because they were like family to me. And it was like they were little. It was really hard. But as a Christian, your life has way more value than you think. And you... You have way more of an impact that you know you're making, and people look at you, and they're putting you on a pedestal wondering if you're the real thing. And hypocrisy, Jesus rebuked it more than anything. The Pharisees were hypocrites. They were these people that got all this knowledge and had all these memorization things and wore all these great outfits, and they walked around and knew the Torah, but when God himself was standing in front of them, they couldn't recognize him. You know, in John 5, Jesus says, you guys study the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, and you're not willing to come to me. In other words, you're studying the word about me, but here I am in front of you, you can't even see me. Religion is a very dangerous thing. Relationship is where you need to be. And in getting free from addiction, the first place you need freedom from is freedom from yourself. Because yourself got you here. Your selfishness. Your, your wants, your desires, they're corrupt, and all mine were corrupt to you. The only reason my desires changed is because I fell in love with Jesus, and God became my father. Everything changed. That day, half the funeral home got saved, gave their life oh, to Jesus. Come on. Pastor came up and led them in a prayer, and, and none of the band guys did, and, and I haven't had contact with those guys. They don't want anything to do with me still, and But all my friends were drugs, were drugs and alcohol, you know, and but the truth is, is I pray for them and I want them to know that Jesus is real. My girlfriend and I, we got married and Destiny was our flower girl. Um, Right now, Destiny's 23. What God did for her in that short season when I was gone at Teen Challenge is that righteousness actually cleanses the conscience from dead works so My daughter's 23, and she has absolutely no memory. She didn't even at eight years old still. Eight years old, when I came out of Teen Challenge, I was trying to talk to her about all the things I did, not just on the porch, but after that to make sure she knew where we stood. She said, Daddy, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't remember being on the couch with Mommy. Like God did something so significant in my kid, and that he took out her memory of her daddy as a bad person drug addict. And he like, all she has is the memory of her daddy being a man of God and loving Jesus. Like she remembers the Disney trip. She remembers all that (laughs) stuff before Christ came. She doesn't remember the hate your father. He's a loser. He's a liar. I'm leaving your father when you're old enough. She doesn't even remember it. Like it's not a mental block. Like some people are like, well, she's an onion. You got to peel her back. It's so stupid. People aren't onions. They're people. That's so dumb. <laughs> I hate that stupid stuff, man. Yeah. <laughs> not, they're not onions. They're people. They're children of God. Yeah. If we'd start teaching people who they are instead of who they were and stop focusing on what they came out of and focus on where they're going yes, and who God's created them to be, we would see so many people come to Jesus and so much more fruit instead of dragging people into their past and pulling up stuff that God says is finished. yeah, Like, who am I? Who am I to go and search out someone's past when God says he already forgave it? Mm -hmm. I mean, if something comes up and they can't get past it, you deal with it by bringing truth there. But don't go digging and fishing for stuff that can still be there. I mean, let's give Jesus the benefit of the doubt here that he's big enough to actually save people. Like... (laughs) It's hard to tell somebody that's transformed that it can't happen. It's, so, yeah, that's it's really, right. I'm I'm free. I, I love Jesus now. Destiny's twenty three. We have another daughter named Zoe. She's thirteen. Going to be fourteen in June. Then we have another daughter that just turned nine. Her name's Riley. We have Zoe, Riley, and then we um, have a little boy. He's three and a half. We adopted. He was a he was a heroin baby. He was born addicted to heroin, and we got him when he was born. And we went to rehab for three weeks. He had to be on methadone for three weeks to get free from heroin. And uh he's three and a half, and he's doing I, I can't even tell you how well he's doing. He's doing amazing. He's wow. just he's just smarter than smart. And his just his demeanor is amazing. His name's Azariah. And now we just adopted another one. He's nine months old. And so we have two, two little ones. I'm 50. We have 23 pretty soon 14 9 3 and a half, and 9 months and like if I had my choice I would do another I would have another one I would get another <laughs> baby I just love that I just love the kids man but honestly this whole thing is going to boil down to you surrendering and you submitting and you realizing you can't do this and you definitely can't do it you were never created to do it we weren't created to do life without God Jesus paid a price not just to get us to heaven but he paid a price to put the holy spirit inside of us, so that we could no longer be orphans, but children. And God didn't want to do life without us so bad that He sent His Son so that He could come and live in us instead of just speak through people. He wants to live in us and make us temples for His glory, for His goodness, for His mercy, so that we could be the hands and feet of Jesus all over this earth, man, so that transformed people transform people. Transformed minds transform minds, really. And honestly. We just have to let we have to stop letting the devil get the upper hand because he's not after you going to church. He's not even after you going to rehab. He's not after you getting married. He's not after you praying for the sick. He's after you ever finding out who God created you to be because he wants to get us in a place of performance and works and go to church, go through the motions, go to rehab just to go through the motions, but never surrender. The, The devil's after full surrender. Yeah. He's after that. He's he's not after us saying we're a Christian. Like a lot of people say a lot of different things. But they're but he's after you. When Jesus said to Peter, he said to the disciples on that day in Caesarea Philippi, you know, in Matthew 16, he said, Who do people say I am? He said, Some say this and some say that, some say a lot of things. And then he said, But who do you say I am? And Peter said, You're the Christ, the Son of the Living God. Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon. People didn't reveal that to you. You didn't get that one yourself. The Father revealed that to you. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So what he's saying is the revelation of Jesus Christ being the Son of God, being the one that was sent. That revelation right there is what God wants to build the church. The devil's after that right there ever being established in the soul. Because honestly, when he talked to Peter that day, just a couple scriptures later, Jesus told Peter, "Great, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood didn't reveal it to you, but my father did. A couple of scriptures later, Jesus says, I'm going to die, be delivered up into the hands of men. And Peter said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Your mind is full of the things of man and not the things of God. You're mindful of the things of man and not the things of God. So Peter just heard God say, this is my son. This is Jesus. He's the Christ. But then a couple of sentences or a couple of scriptures later, Jesus says, I've got to go do what I'm going to do. See, he didn't understand that by Jesus going away, the presence of Jesus that hung with him was going to be far outweighed by the presence of Jesus that was going to come dwell in him through agency of Holy Spirit. So Peter was trying to hold on to what he thought was was rightfully his or hold on to the best thing ever, which would be walking with Jesus and when Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, he didn't rebuke him because he was practicing witchcraft. He didn't rebuke him because he was trying to, like, do these cultish books and these seances and, and casting spells on people. He didn't. He said, get behind me, Satan, because you're thinking like a mere man. You're not thinking like God thinks. And so then he said, uh, when he said, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, whenever you bind on earth and be bound in heaven, whenever you loose on earth, be loosed in heaven. And he said, "Don't tell anybody about this." And then he says this. He said, "Oh gosh, I should read it. It's so it's so powerful." He says, "Unless a man denies himself, picks up and cross his cross and follow me, he can't be my disciple." It says, "It says, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Like to gain the whole world, what will you give? Like what is it worth?" And so he starts talking about self and denying self. And that reality of Peter rising up saying, this shall never happen to you, selfishness, rising up saying that, Jesus said, that's demonic. So when he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against you, he was talking about what's between his ears. He wasn't talking about physical gates. He was talking about the enemy's stronghold that's established here in selfishness and all that stuff, self-hatred, rejection, depression, anxiety, fear. All that stuff is demonic, and all that stuff is between our ears. And so when he talks about the gates of hell, he's actually talking about that whole part of man that needs to be obliterated, that stands in the way of you denying yourself, because that's self-like full-fledged. Yeah. And so it's it's really powerful. What Satan's after is your mind, and so he really wants—I mean, physical sickness, of course, I get it, but the reality of it is, is that he's really after this. Because if we, if we start to think with the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 2— it says that he has given us the mind of Christ. If we start to think from that place, it'll change the world, man.
0: It's awesome. Yeah, Todd, thank
1: you. Yeah, bro, I think our I think our time went a little over,
0: bro. This is so <laughs> so good, man. Um, yeah. I know that you were on a probably a super tight schedule.
1: Yeah,
0: it's a message from a few years ago. And you said that I haven't dealt with shame in yeah. in 14 years. At the time, whenever you gave the message, was, was now it's now
1: it's 16. That's
0: right. <laughs> and you, know, you you covered a lot of that. You know, while you were sharing your testimony, but this is yeah. the things that you know when people are coming in the program. Some people have had a season where they ran with Jesus for a little bit. They've blown it. They've got back into self. Whatever it is, you know, ended in some type of relapse, and they're coming back. I mean, that is the common theme of just the dope to kill the shame. Can you speak to that for a second before you?
1: Yeah, um, shame, guilt, guilt, shame and condemnation come from the same place. It comes from a place of I wish I'd never did it. It comes from a place of I wish I wish I'd never done that. The worst thing that you can possibly do is try to figure out height and go back and fix it. What the enemy wants us to do is he wants us to look in hindsight. He wants us to look. Um, let me grab this real quick. Hold on here. Okay. Oh, my my turn to is the Bible, buddy. That's right. Like, he the enemy wants us to completely be obliterated with this Second Corinthians. I want to read it. I mean, I know it, but I want to read it to you. New Bible here. My Bible is not with me right <laughs> here. And all it's like the smallest writing in the whole world. <laughs> so there's so many. Like I've got one, two, three, four chapters on one page. That's crazy. Okay. In second Corinthians chapter, or in second Corinthians chapter ten, verse four. This is like This is where you have to learn and understand what your weapons are like. Gosh, I have to know that the word of God is alive. Like you have to, first of all, make sure in your heart that the word of God is is alive. And you put it at the very place that God placed it and says in Psalms 138, verse two, that God has magnified his word above his own name. So you have God's name and then you have God's word above it. Like, it's so powerful. So in that place, you can't say you love God unless you love his word. So, so many people say they love God, but you can't. You can't say you truly love God if you're not going to honor the infallibility or the unfailing ability of his word. You can't. And you have to get it into your soul right away. Like right away that this word is a completely it's completely alive. Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God's alive, sharp, and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide and separate your soul from your spirit. So when you get born again, you've given your life to God. Your spirit, you become one spirit with God. Your soul is messed up. I don't care how much scripture you, you have. Your soul can be messed up, especially if it came through just reading it, to memorize it because memorizing it is one thing walking it out is another the scripture that God has in his word will completely dismantle any addiction from ever surfacing again whether you've gotten free and you've relapsed or, or whether you've or whether you're just starting to get free scripture is going to be your best friend like best friend has to be priority no matter what In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it gives this vital warfare section of Scripture that, like for me, has been of the utmost importance. Romans 12, 1 says, offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable and pleasing service. Your body includes your soul. Like that's part of this. Your your mind, will, and emotions is your soul. When the Bible refers to soul, he's talking about your mind, will, and emotions. When he's talking about your spirit, it's your spirit man. When he's talking about your body, it's this outer portion. But but you got spirit, soul, and body. So the word of God is alive and active. It separates your soul from your spirit. So your spirit man gets it. Your your born-again spirit man gets it. Your Holy Spirit connection, it's amazing, but your soul. Is the very place that the enemy wants to attack, and he wants to bring memories of things you've wish you've never done. He wants to have memories be on the forefront instead of truth be on the forefront. So the goal of the Christian is to be able to take thoughts captive. It says this in chapter in 2nd Corinthians chapter 10. It says, For the weapons in verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting every casting down. Imaginations in every high thing or every thought that exalts itself up against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, meaning God's word is alive and active. It is divinely powerful for pulling down thoughts, for taking thoughts captive. If a thought of shame comes, it's the thought of something that you wish you didn't do or the thought of condemnation. Um, the the thought of I'll never be free or the thought of guilt, I shouldn't have done that. Those three things right there are annihilated with truth. Once something happens, see what happens is when the word gets in there and you start to realize you're no longer that person. You're not that addict. You're not the person. You're not the guy with the, with the addiction. You're not. You're actually a son with an old nature that gets crushed by the divine nature. You're you're a brand new creation, a brand new species, one that never walked the earth before. Let's say someone gets free for a while and all of a sudden they have a relapse. They go back into it, but they want freedom. The truth is, is to find out what scripture says about where you went, about what scripture says about who you are, and taking those scriptures to where when a thought comes, I shouldn't have done that. The Bible verse comes, old things have passed away. All things have become new. I'm not the same one that just did that. Even if you're saved and it happens and slowly but surely, even quickly but surely, that thing will get annihilated and your self-control is being so focused on God's voice that every other voice loses its voice. So what we need to do is we need to press into God and realize that this book is way more powerful than we've let it be. And we need to take those thoughts that are abstract, captive, so that truth comes in. So the next time that thought comes, the truth completely annihilates that thing, where the Holy Spirit doesn't even allow it to enter into your thinking process. But it's a daily walk. It's every day. We have to learn this and find out. The more you press into the Word and find out your identity and what God shares, and what He says about you, the more you will be able to utilize the tools that God has given you. And those tools become weapons. The Holy Spirit's on it.
0: Wow. So good, man. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah.
1: I love helping, man.
0: Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call It's 770-570-7422.